I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. We're doing our study in Hebrews, and we talked last week in chapter 5. I think the main part that we really focused on was uh, speaking that, uh, that we would grow up. Amen? It was basically that was the thought. That Paul said, for, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you're having to be taught again. It wasn't a compliment. It doesn't mean they were lost. It didn't mean they were going to hell. It, wasn't just, it just means the Lord was instructing them. I said, we have to have a little spiritual backbone sometime and let the Word of God, not somebody that just wants to uh, chew us out, okay? but let the Lord be able to rebuke us. The Word of God. Paul told Timothy, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Use God's Word to deal with the things first in your own life he may use you, I pray He would, to go to someone else as the need would arise. But He's saying here at the end of chapter 5, when you should be, i got a lot of things to tell you, deeper things in verse 11, but you can't handle it because you're dull of hearing. And that literally meant like you're lazy. You're lazy uh, spiritually. That's not what we want to be. We talked about it last week. It's one thing to be ignorant of something. It's another thing to be just lazy when you could learn and you don't, especially when it comes to the things of God. Amen. So um, the Lord's saying there's a time you should be here. There's a, there's a maturity level that every one of us, that these little kids in here just prayed it last week to give their lives to Jesus, okay? Then there's a place in Christ in maturity level, okay, that God would expect them to be. And if you've been saved for 40 years, there's a place God would expect you to be. And that's the key. It's not that I compare myself to Peter or to Dee or to Katie. It's that I should... In fact, the Bible says don't do that. We comparing ourselves to ourselves are not wise. But we do know where we should be. It's kind of like I should be teaching by now. I should be volunteering to teach a Sunday school class and be able to do it. You know what I mean? I should be able to go witness to somebody in the street and if they ask me what does it mean to be justified by faith, I ought to be able to tell them what that means. Okay, And so that's the idea here. There's a place where we should be. You know and God knows where that is. We talked about it last week. The encouraging thing is that if we fall behind, if we're lagging behind, and I've talked about myself about how for five years I twiddled my thumbs and plateaued out or even went downhill as a Christian, that when we get serious about it and surrender all that to the Lord, He can make up for lost time. He's able to do that. I thank God that He is able to do that. But I want us to move on now to chapter 6. And it says here, Therefore, leave, uh, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, and I'll tell you what that means in a second, let us go, un, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. So he's saying here, uh, again, the whole idea of Christianity that, that I'm learning, besides salvation in Jesus, okay, through faith in the Lord and washing in His blood, He sets us on a path and that path is, is uh, He orders our steps, okay? He orders our steps from wherever we are we get saved to where He wants to bring us. And it's always upward and onward, upward and onward, upward and onward. He may bring us through a valley to strengthen us, 
to strengthen our faith, to cause us to lean wholly upon, completely upon the Lord. But still, the, the whole move is upward. It says in Philippians that it's a high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's moving us onward, spiritually, morally, you know, physically. When we rapture, we're going up. You know, everything is present on. It's never about just a stagnant. Let me stay put here, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. Never do you see that. There's always a provoking to love and good works. There's always moving on, and that's what he's saying. Therefore, leaving the principles and the doctrines, and in studying this, it doesn't mean leave them in the sense of abandon them. The principles of Christ, that's always going to be our foundation. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon that foundation, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about abandoning the first principles as though they're not needed anymore. Um, they're insignificant. We're a lot more mature. We don't need that anymore. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying leaving them in the sense of let's go on. Let's build upon that. Let's learn new things. Let's teach new things. Let's uh, understand new things. And, and let's go on with the Lord. And that's really what he's saying here. Leaving these principles, it means uh, almost like building blocks is what the word means. It means the atoms, the, the primary elements. Let's go on. Let's go from babyhood to adulthood. Let's go from being an infant to a mature in Christ. Okay? You still need those building blocks. You never leave them. We never get tired of hearing if, if you know somebody came up here or I preached on the blood of Jesus and how you get saved. We wouldn't get tired of that. You know what I mean? So that doesn't get old or like worthless or pointless. It's just that God wants us to build upon that. And that's all He's saying here. These different uh, principles that He's talking about moving on from. Okay? Going on, He says, unto perfection is what He says. Uh, let's go on to perfection. And that, that is a maturity. That's a completion. Again, that's a full maturity of where we should be in Christ. Not perfect in the sense of sinless. Perfect in the sense of maturity though. Okay? And understanding and where we should be and commitment to the Lord. So we don't have to lay those foundations again. And he was actually, like I said, rebuking in a, in a godly way in chapter 5 for them not doing that. For them not going on. So he's saying, let's move on. Let's keep going. So what are the things that we move on from? We're going to cover them real quickly because it's really the next few verses that I'm going to spend our time on tonight. But he says, Let, uh, the first one that he mentions is repentance from dead works. Okay? Repentance from dead works. These, these are basics, he's saying. These are principles. These are Christianity 101. And, and let's move on from these things. Repentance from dead works. If, if I've been saved for 15 years and I hadn't repented of dead works. What is a dead work? It's, it's all the things of this world. It's dead. What fruit do you have in that, Paul says in Romans, and those things that now you're ashamed of them. What fruit ever came from that? There were dead works. There was dead fruit that came from them. There was nothing of God. And if I'm still hanging on to those things, like I did my time at LSU, and maybe I have some other things as well since then. But he's saying we don't have to, we shouldn't have to keep going over and over and over that. That for you. Maybe you should teach it to somebody else now. Okay? Maybe you need a refresher course every now and then, but it's time to move on. Jesus said, unless you repent, you're going to perish. Alright? And so, repentance from dead works is any of that old nature 
the works of that old nature. The works of the flesh are manifest through these. There's that big list of them in Galatians. And we need to move on from that. The fruit of that is death. The end of that is death. And the only thing that's ever going to come out of that old man, that old life, is going to be death. So we know that. We understand that. And we grasp it and we need to move on from that. The second thing is faith in God. Okay, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we're going through this, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. The Bible says, uh, Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me, have faith in God. We understand that. that that's a basic, right? Our little kids know that. Have faith in God. So when he's saying leave it, don't abandon it, just go on from there. Okay? Going to mature in Christ from there. Alright? And the doctrine of, of uh, baptisms. We've talked about that a lot. The different baptisms. There's baptism into the body of Christ. There's baptism in water after that. There's baptism in the Holy Spirit and so forth. These different baptisms. We shouldn't have to keep laying those foundations over and over. The laying on of hands, he says. We understand what that is. The Bible talks about the laying on of hands. And it's, it's symbolic of some type of impartation of people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on the hands of the apostles. Uh, James says, if any sick, right, let him call on the elders of the church and anoint with all and lay their hands on them and pray the prayer of faith and the sick are going to be healed. And so there's a laying on of hands that brings these different things from God that He's called us to do. Resurrection from the dead and so forth. And eternal judgment. We understand these things. We understand these things. I mean, what if, what if uh, Alberto came to me and, and it's like I totally lost my mind. I didn't understand that we were going to be eternally face the Lord as an eternal judge. You understand what I'm saying? Those are things that we ought to grasp and fully be comfortable with and understand from revelation of the Holy Spirit from the Word of God and be able to move on. And Paul, when he was preaching on Mars Hill, you know, with all the Greek philosophers of the day in Athens, and he was preaching, and uh, he said, because, you know, one time God was more uh, maybe patient with our sins, but he's commanded everybody now to repent because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, Jesus Christ, whereas he's given assurance to all and that he raised him from the dead. He's saying there's going to be a judgment day for all men. It's going to be Christ. It's going to be based on do we know Him? Our sins are forgiven and washed in His blood or are we not? We need to know these things and understand and then be able to move on. And he says in verse 3, this we will do. Uh, we're going to move on if God permits. Well, certainly God's permitting us. We're going to go on to this maturity. Now, I want to spend tonight talking about uh, in chapter 6, verses 4-6, through six, Predominantly, and maybe we'll get through more, but I don't want to rush. I want to definitely cover this. So let, let's read it together. Verse 4. Alright, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. I'm going to go back over that, but do you believe? Forget the impossible part for right now. When he says for those in verse 4 who were, past tense, who were once enlightened. Do you think that description in verses 4 and 5 
partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Do you think that is describing a lost man or a saved man? Saved man. I don't think there can be an argument about that. Okay? Personally, I don't, I don't see there can be an argument about, about it. Let's keep reading. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame, or like a, almost like a ridicule, a mockery is what that means. So let's talk about this. I believe this is born again people. I have no, no problem coming to that conclusion because a lost man doesn't fit in any of those categories. There could be a lost man that goes to church. There could be a lost man that goes on a mission trip and joins choirs and does outreaches and gives a lot of money to a church. There could be a lost person that does a lot of these things. It gets goosebumps on their neck when a certain song is played that they love. A lost man can do all of those things. A lost man can be kind to his wife. A lost man can be kind to strangers. People can do that. But a lost man is not going to be have once been enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and made partaker of the Holy Ghost. Alright? Holy Ghost could even come upon him and convict him of his sin. A lost man when the preacher's preaching, okay? Or he's reading his Bible. He comes under the conviction of the Holy Ghost and still be lost. Who was it? Uh, uh, Agrippa? Was it Agrippa that that Paul talked to? Or Felix? I can't no, it might have been Felix. Where Felix trembled when, when Paul spoke to him about righteousness and judgment and temperance and he, he trembled he said you almost persuade me to be a Christian and Paul says I wish you were all together a Christian you're not you know what I mean and he says go away I'll, I'll think about this more later when I have a convenient time but salvation is not convenient salvation is today is the time of salvation and you better make it convenient because there's nothing more important the point is that a lost man can come under conviction and have a lot of Things where God is dealing with him and moving him and speaking to him and things like that, and yet he not be a partaker of the Holy Ghost. Partaker means a partner, an associate. We are partakers of the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in 1 Peter, I believe, that we are, it might be 2 Peter, partakers of his divine nature. That's what it's talking about. A lost man, no matter how godly they may be or close to being born again, if they're lost, they're lost. And they're not a partaker of the Holy Ghost and they're not a partaker of the divine nature. Okay? It's just no way. It's very clear in the Scriptures. And so, this person described here was once enlightened. And that simply made they were made to see. Let's look at a couple of Scriptures. Keep your spot there and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Their spiritual eyes have been opened. That's what he's saying. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. We are, you're going to recognize it when we read it. Talking about, well, let's pick up verse 3. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them what that are lost. It's hidden to those that are lost. Not, they're not enlightened. In whom the God of this world, that's the devil, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, 
and our and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what's being described here in Hebrews chapter 6 when they were once enlightened. Okay? Again, I'm making a case. I'm mean, probably going to say, okay, we got it already. But I'm, I'm making the case that these are lost people. And it goes on to say, they were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. Now, I, I was thinking about this one day and how the, the David says in the Psalms, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's kind of a strange saying. You would think, well, come, come to know the Lord and see that He's good. Come and meet the Lord and know that He's good. But he says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And I begin to think about it that if, if Stephen's cooking some, something on his new smoker back there in his pit, and we're, we're walking up the driveway, okay? And we see the smoke coming off. So we can see he's cooking. He's got something good going back there. And we could smell it if the wind's blowing the right way. And, you know, we could even maybe if we got closer here, it's sizzling or something like that. But you can't really partake of it till you taste it. And so I was thinking when, it's, when the Lord, when David says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And these people that were believers, they tasted of the heavenly gift. In other words, they, they experienced it. They really experienced it. Y'all have all probably watched a cooking network on TV. You can't taste it, right? You see the guy, man versus food, and he eats something this big. You say, boy, that sure looks good. But you don't taste it. You're still hungry. Uh, you can see it. Uh, but tasting is, is a partaking of it. Okay, experience it. And let's keep reading. And we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. We've already talked about that. It means a participant, a sharer, an associate. A lost person is none of those things. And he goes back to the taste again. Verse 5, And have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the world to come. You know what it's like? It's almost like in a saved man, the Lord can put eternity in your heart. In other words, you can lay hold of that concept spiritually. You can know, even though there's a lot of confusion, everything, uh, circumstances are temporal, you know, and the world around you is temporal and it seems so real. God by His Spirit can make eternity real to you. You get it. You know what I'm saying? Heaven's real. And I don't feel very heavenly today because of all this coming against me, but the, the Lord in us, the Spirit of God in us, takes the Word of God and we can lay hold on it. Okay? Paul said, I know whom I believed. I'm persuaded that he's able to keep all that I've committed unto him against that day. There's a day coming, there's eternity. It says, this person has tasted of the good word of God and of the powers of the world to come. There's a world to come, there's a kingdom to come. In the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. This is not, uh, America's not going to be the kingdom, okay? Saudi Arabia, whatever, is not going to be the kingdom to come. Daniel talks about. There's a stone that wasn't cut out with hands that smashed those other four empires, okay? And he says his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is forever and ever. And I know that, although I might have a hard time because we've got to pay bills and we've got to live in this temporal life and a hurt foot and a hurt knee and different things going on. Uh, and yet we know that that eternity is real. That kingdom is coming. So this is a person that's tasted of that. They got a hold of that. 
They experienced it spiritually. And the Bible says at the beginning of verse 4, after before it describes this man, it says it's impossible for those who once were. It doesn't say it's very hard for somebody. It's difficult. It says it's impossible for these who once were. You know, we filled in the blanks already. We described it. Partakers of the Holy Ghost and so forth. If that person that was once in their past enlightened and I believe fully born of the Spirit of God, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance. This is a serious thought. This is a sobering thought. This is something we need to lay hold of. We're going to talk about it one more time uh, in a passage in, in uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews. There's a, a three or four verses there that gives one more really good detail about it. But think about it for just a minute. If they shall fall away, and I've said it when we uh, a couple of weeks, several weeks back in our study in Hebrews, the word apostasy is not in the Bible. You won't find it in the you know English. You won't find it in there. But fall fall away is the is the word. You know in the Greek is apostasy or apostasy. Okay, so it is there, just like the word rapture. I've said you're not going to look through your Bible in the concordance and look up for rapture. You'll find catching away. All right. And you look up the definitions, harpezo in the Greek, and it means a sudden snatching away or catching away. Well, if you looked up the term, if they shall fall away, it says apostasy. That's what it says. And uh, we were teaching through the book of Hebrews. I don't have any of um, uh, The teachers that, that were teaching at Hunt for all these years, the last thing that we taught was... Um, the book of Hebrews. Reynolds taught it. Yeah, you've taught it. And, I, and I've got this little paper that I've typed up. And I want to give a real quick teaching to all of the teachers that were going to the hunt. I said, whoever gets to this part, I want you to be ready for it. Because those guys are going to quiz you. And they, they all, a lot of them know the Bible better than we do. And they love to talk. And so you be ready and be prepared. There is a belief that you cannot that this is it's impossible for a Christian to I don't want to use the word lose salvation but you know what I mean there's a belief among true believers that once saved always saved there's nothing you can do period that could cause you from going to be from being a Christian to missing heaven from being a Christian to not being under the blood of Jesus and I would say this passage right here, and also in, he, in Hebrews 10, and Peter talks, it would be better for them not to have been born, you know, to not to have known the way than to, after they've known it to depart. But the, the, like the proverb, it's like a dog returning to his vomit and so forth. And so the Bible talks about right here that there is a falling away. That's literally what we just read. Falling away is simply this. Somebody that is a believer and they come to a place where they no longer believe. And that's about as simple as I can put it. Now, there are a lot of things that lead to that. They didn't just go from being on fire for God and the next day being apostate. 
Something led to that. It could be sin. That's probably what it's going to be. It's going to be sin. It's unrepented of. But nonetheless, this is not saying that this is not backsliding. Have y'all all heard the term backsliding, right? Uh, backsliding is simply with, with the picture. If I'm climbing up a hill and I'm, and I'm marching on with Jesus, okay, and I'm going up this hill with the Lord, and I maybe take my eyes off of the Lord, and somebody over here next to me who's walking up the hill too, they slide back, and I say, wow. And I kind of keep my eyes on them, and they go back into some worldly lifestyle or something like that. I'm giving a, a little example, a picture. And so I might slide back. I don't have to. I shouldn't. It's a sin. It's wrong. That, that's not apostasy. It could lead to it. That is what it says. That's backsliding. That's me uh, going back into some sin that God brought me out of. could be for a, a week. It could be for a month. It could be for a year. Pray it wouldn't be. But you can backslide and because God's but your faith is still in Jesus, if that makes sense. There could be somebody, hey, all my old buddies are going to watch the Super Bowl at so-and-so bar and grill. And I haven't seen my buddies in a long time. You know, I'm tired of being in the goody two-shoes and living this Christian life all the time. It's not going to kill me to go to the bar, grab me a Budweiser, and sit there and watch the Super Bowl with my long-lost friends. And so they go there. It's a sin, right? It's a reproach on the name of the Lord. Uh, friendship with the world is enmity with God. We could go on and on and on about it. Then they might say, hey, this is kind of fun. I didn't fall over dead. I'm going to do it again next week. My friends really like me and I like them. And so what is he doing? This is a true believer. I'm given a picture. Okay? And they start living that way. They might get caught up in that sin or that sinful lifestyle for a while. They have not apostatized as of that point. If you went up to the bar right there and said, are you a Christian? He's got a beer in his hand. Are you a Christian? Yes. You believe in the blood of Jesus has washed your sins? Yes. You believe a man has to be born again to go to heaven? Yes. Are you born again? Yes, I am. They might be ashamed of how they're living. Okay? They might be ashamed that you're talking to them about Jesus with a beer in their hand. They should be. But they're still in Christ. An apostate, y'all, is someone who has turned from the faith. And I want to make that clear. It's the turning from the faith. If we're saved by grace through faith, if we're kept by God, by the power of God through faith, the only way I could not be saved anymore after I was saved is to turn from the faith. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. I don't believe the blood of Jesus is sufficient for my sins. I'm not interested in that. I don't care about that. I think it's ridiculous. They may even begin to mock. You've, you know some, you've heard it said before, some of the strongest atheists were once Christians. Now they may not have been. Maybe they were thought they were Christians and they really weren't. But, but you understand the point. They turn from the faith. And so it's not a question of drinking or not drinking or being fornicating or not fornicating, or going to church or not going to church, or reading my Bible. I used to, but I don't anymore. It's a question of the whole thing. It's a question of this whole belief in Jesus. I don't believe that story anymore. Now, do you think this would be common or pretty rare? I think it's very rare. I think backsliding is pretty frequent. And I think oftentimes people... Uh, 
that you thought were Christians and then you see them kind of go off the deep end basically back into sin, a lot of times, and I would say most of the time, they were never saved. So I know that that's reality. I'm going to give you a scripture on that. So keep your spot marked. And I want you to turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. This is a great scripture. Okay? Let's back up to verse 18. Little children. He's speaking to believers. This whole book of 1 John was written to beloved. My brethren. Okay? Little children, it is the last time. Or the end times. As you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it's the last time. They went out from us. I know you've heard this scripture before. They went out from us. He's Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but this spirit. Okay? But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or revealed or become apparent that they were not all of us. That's telling me that even in John's day, could be in this church right here, I pray not, certainly doesn't have to be, okay? But you can be functioning and moving along for years with a group of people, going on mission trips together, and all of a sudden, after a long time, five years, ten years, twenty years, brother so-and-so goes off the deep end. I'm not just saying he committed sin, or even stayed in sin for six months and then came back. I'm saying they went off the deep end and they, they're on CNN now saying what an idiot they used to be and they're so glad they're enlightened and they don't believe all this Christian stuff anymore in the blood of Jesus. Okay? They could have been never truly born again. They could have liked Christianity. They could have cozied up to Christianity and liked Christian people and liked the the morality of it and like the music and like the feel of it. They didn't like all the, the, the real hard, sinful lifestyle. They didn't like that. This was attractive to them. And so they cozied up to it and for all intents and purposes, for as much as you could tell or I could tell, they were Christians. But here we see they went out. They were not of us, he says. They were never of us. They went out from us that it might be made manifest. They were not of us. If they had been of us or of the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of them, they no doubt would have continued with us. And so here I think that's a picture of somebody that was never saved. But still, nonetheless, we see it in Hebrews. People that had tasted and people that were partakers of the Holy Ghost. And I know I gave the example before. I'm going to give it one more time. Uh, I go to the, I drive to the Mississippi River Bridge, and I've just had it. I'm just fed up with everything. I park my car, and I go and I take my car keys and my house keys and my office keys and everything, and I, my wallet, and I just chuck it over the bridge. I'm just giving up on all that kind of stuff. And I didn't lose my keys, did I? I forfeited my keys. I gave them up. So if somebody says, Randy, so you believe you can lose your salvation? I would say, no, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe you can forfeit your salvation. I believe you can turn from this God that you once put your faith in. And His only provision for salvation is through faith in Him. And through the only means of cleansing and forgiveness is through Him. And you believed it at one time, but you've been so... Uh, 
back in the world, maybe backslidden for such a long time, you come to a place. That's why backsliding can be so dangerous. But besides it being a reproach to Christ and there's consequences for sin, even for a believer, is that if we stay there, I believe the danger is we could fall away. So I believe backsliding can lead to it. Okay? Backsliding can lead to it. So I don't believe I can lose my salvation. I have lost my car keys before. I hate it. I've lost my wallet before and had to get new credit cards. I've lost my checkbook before at some point in my life. Did not want to. Did not intend to. So it wasn't an intentional thing. Right? So I don't believe you can lose your salvation and all of a sudden I wanted to be saved and just one day it sort of got away from me and I lost it. I don't believe that. We're kept by the power of God through faith. If I keep my faith in Him, He keeps me. He keeps me. And that's what the Bible teaches. And so... Uh, that's that's the description of the And so I'm going to just close. We'll turn back to uh, back to Hebrews 6 and what we're looking at. It says here in verse 6, if they shall fall away, if they shall apostatize. If you have any more questions about this or want to be reassured about it even more, please come in and talk to me. I'll do my best. I can give you one of these pictures, these uh, papers that I gave to our teachers that were going to hunt. I have a a few scriptures here about it. But uh, faith is the only way to be saved. So unbelief is the only way to apostatize. Unbelief. It says it's impossible if they fall away, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. Impossible. Alright? That's why this is very sobering. Here's why. Because they do it seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. That literally means they're mocking. They're ridiculing. Doesn't say they cursed. Said a curse word. Doesn't mean they watched something bad on TV. It has to do with their faith. It has to do with who God is. Who the Son of God is. What did He do on the cross? Why did He do it? And they think the whole thing's a bunch of hogwash. They think the whole thing's a joke. They think the whole thing is ridiculous. And they begin to mock. Okay? It says if they if they if this person does that, it's impossible. That's not God's desire. It's not his will. He's not willing that any perish. I don't think it happens often. I think most of the time when we see something that scratches our head and we say, Oh, Brother Joe, he used to teach Sunday school and now look at him. You know, he's living in adultery and he's doing that and he's mocking Jesus and he's got bumper stickers on his car about you know anti-God things on his car what happened to him I don't know he might have apostatized but I think more often than not that person was never saved that's my opinion because I think this is a rare thing I really do but it is there's an allowance for it I guess you would say in scripture there's a teaching for it in scripture again we're going to hit a wonderful passage when we get to chapter 10, I don't want to teach it now, but it's impossible to, to bring them back. It's impossible to restore them. What they're doing is they're fully rejecting Christ and His atonement and His work on the cross. Fully rejecting it. Alright? His blood, His sacrifice, His forgiveness, that's apostasy. And if we reject Christ, then here's the question. If I reject Jesus and what He did on the cross as the means of salvation and my personal means of salvation, where am I going to turn now? 
to receive forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of eternal life. See what I'm saying? That, that's why it's impossible. If I'm, that's why it's not a particular sin because any sin we commit, we can be forgiven of, right? The worst thing we can think of, well, we talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, but I mean, typically just going through life, we can commit horrible sins as Christians and ask God to forgive us sincerely and He will every time. Doesn't mean there might need to be some heartache or some consequences to go with that, but we're still His child, okay? We're still as much His child as we ever were and we're going to His heaven that He has prepared for His children. Period. So it's not a question of a sin. I'm stressing it. It's a question of rejection of Christ and His atoning work and not believing that anymore. That's why I say again, I think it's very rare. And uh, let's look at one more scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2. Where would I go if I rejected that? Where would I turn for forgiveness if I turned from Jesus? You're not going to find it. They're not looking for it for the first place. Somebody that apostatized and somebody that turned from the Lord, they're not going around asking to be forgiven. I mean, I've seen bumper stickers and probably this is just lost people, you know. I'm going to hell when I die. I'm glad I'm going to hell. All my friends are going to be there. We're going to have a big party kind of thing. Just mocker and just ridiculous. But the point is to me, if I reject Christ, I have no other place to go for forgiveness. And let, we'll just, we'll, we'll, this will be our last scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is that a believer? I don't think there's any doubt. Knowledge, that word knowledge is very key. Because that's the same word in John 17, 3 where this is eternal life that they may know Thee, the only true God. So if after they have escaped the, the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, alright, after that, if, they, if after this they are again entangled therein, all those things they came out of, and overcome, let's just say they went back and committed some of those sins, they're entangled in them, then they're overcome by those things. It says, uh, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. That's pretty serious, right? And he goes on to explain it further. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and after they have known to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed in her wallowing in the mire. They're going back to unbelief. They're going back to their B.C. days before Christ. It may involve some of the same sins. It may not. May involve worse ones, and they'll be. The Bible said it'd be worse for them in the end, in the beginning. It would be better for them. It'd be better for a person just to be lost, because then Damien could go share the gospel with him, and he could get saved. That's why it's better. Okay, they're just an open book. They're lost, like the whole world's lost and needs Jesus. But this person, and we already read in Hebrews, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Because they put the Lord to an open shame. They're openly denouncing who they openly confessed. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And now at some point in their life, how they got there, I don't know. Cold heart, turning from God, 
sin, pattern of sin. They didn't break off their sin with righteousness. They didn't repent of it. They kept on. And, and they found themselves in some place where they turned from the Lord. That's a falling away. A falling away. And then now who they profess is saying, I think it's a joke. I was so stupid to follow this Jesus. This is the whole thing's a joke. It's a it's a wives' tale. It's a fable. You know we're sophisticated in 2017, and we know better. And I, I'm ashamed that I ever believed that. And then they start ridiculing and mocking. That's what they're doing. This is an apostate. Somebody that knew and turned from that. And so we absolutely. I think it's rare. I don't think you can lose your salvation. I'm not going to put myself in the camp or let somebody label me, oh, that cornerstone, they believe you can lose your salvation. I don't. I believe that you can apostatize just like what we read. Okay? So I don't want to be painted into uh, a picture and I want to know and understand what I believe from the Scriptures. Okay? From the Scriptures. And like I said, we'll get to a, a couple more good ones in Hebrews 10. And that sounds like a, a strange way to end, but... But we're going to end right here tonight. And so if y'all would stand. Paul says that we're not of those, and we're going to get to this later in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says we're not of those that shrink back to perdition. We don't have to do that. This is not something we live in fear of. God doesn't want you to wake up tomorrow morning and say, oh, Lord, help. You know, I'm afraid I'm going to apostatize. Keep your eyes on the Lord. We have that admonition all through the Scriptures, Okay. Just keep walking with the Lord. If we start to stray from God, is He not kind enough to bring us back? Is He not kind enough to warn us a thousand times a thousand before He would let us cross that line of apostasy? You understand what I'm saying? We don't just wake up one day and we lost it somehow. It's not going to happen. It's a conscious decision. Just like you consciously gave your life to Jesus, there's a day you were born again because you decided that this was truth and He's the way, the truth, and the life, and you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe somebody right next to you didn't give their life to Jesus, but you did. And apostasy would be something where you make a conscious choice, you can remember the day, and I chose this day. And I've read books by like people that were once pastors, and then, uh, you know, how could a good God send let so many people starve to death in Africa. I went and visited Africa and saw these poor starving children. And then they threw the whole thing in. The whole belief in God. Things like that. They can remember there was a turning point in their lives. And so we don't have to live in fear of that. Just keep your, yourselves in the love of God. In the Word of God. And let's just worship the Lord for a few minutes. And just take some time to pray. God, I want to thank You, Lord. I know we quote the Scripture all the time, but Your Word says that we're kept by the power of God through faith. And I don't stand here tonight keeping myself saved. I was saved when I gave my life to You. I'm being saved. And I'm ultimately going to be saved when faith ends in sight and we see You, Lord, face to face. But all the way through, You're the Savior. You're the Savior. Salvation is of the Lord. I didn't save myself and I don't keep myself saved. The same faith I put in You when I gave my life to You is the same faith I keep in You today. You're the Lord and You're God. And you're God's only Son. And You're the resurrected Lord who died on the cross for the sins of the world and rose again because You loved us. And our life is in Your hands, God. 
Help us, God. Keep us from backsliding. Keep us from sin. Keep us from presumptuous sin. Keep us from a cold heart. Keep us, God, with a soft and a tender heart that breaks every time we see a lost person, God. That we'd have a soft heart towards You and to the things of God. Or we see a brother in Christ hurting. Give us a soft heart, a soft heart that cares. And You said that we're, we that are spiritual ought to go restore such a one that's fallen away in some way or Maybe they're overcome by a particular sin, God. But Lord, this is the perilous times that we're living in. And God, we need to understand the seriousness of the times in which we live. And the, the, the calling from You, God, like we are just reading last week and this week, to go on to maturity, to go on to perfection, to go on into the things that You have for us, God. And not to shrink back, to slide back, to go back like a dog to His vomit, God. Your Word says You're moving us from glory to glory. And I want to thank You for that, God. I love You, Lord Jesus. Thank You. Just take some time to worship the Lord and thank Him.